Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we discuss aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am Christine Smith, your host, and with me I have Sam Rothstein. Now we are going to get together today and we're going to talk about a very interesting and important subject that is valuable to everybody, but to especially musicians in this day and age. We're going to be talking about mental health. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background about Sam. Clarinetist Sam Rothstein is currently the acting principal clarinet with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra, having been appointed as the assistant principal and bass clarinetist with the ISO in 2015. He received his bachelor's degree in music performance from Northwestern University, where he studied with Lori Bloom and Steve Cohen. Prior to joining the Indianapolis Symphony, Mr. Rothstein was a member of the Richmond Symphony in Richmond, Virginia, and the Civic Orchestra of Chicago. He has performed with the Chicago, Detroit, Milwaukee, Virginia, New World, and Illinois Symphony Orchestras, as well as the Fort Wayne Philharmonic. Additionally, he was the clarinet player for the 25th anniversary National Touring Company of Les Miserables, and has also performed in orchestras of other various productions for Broadway Chicago. Summer festival appearances include the National Repertory Orchestra, Spoleto Festival USA, and the Tanglewood Music Center. After two summers as a fellow at the Tanglewood Music Center, Samuel was invited to return for a third summer as a member of the New From Players, focusing on the study and performance of contemporary music. And you may know him best as the host, producer, and founder of the podcast and YouTube channel, The Candid Clarinetist, dedicated to providing students and aspiring professional musicians with incredible resources and insight into the daily lives of people in all aspects of the industry. So we are lucky and just very privileged to have him here speaking with us today. So Sam, welcome to Musicians Versus the World. Well, thank you very much for having me today. I'm very excited to be here and, and speaking with you, Christine. Well, first, before we get started, I want to say thank you for your Candid Clarinetist resources, because I think I've talked to you about this before. My daughter started clarinet just a couple years ago, and I'm a pianist, and there are many similarities, you know, just in basics of music, but woodwinds and clarinets are their own completely different animal. And um, just having you as a resource to help me guide her as I'm helping her through her path has been just I'm just so grateful for it. So thank you for giving that resource so freely to everybody. Yeah, of course. And that was sort of my goal uh, by doing it. So Because I kind of modeled the whole podcast and, and all those resources after something that I wish I would have had when I was younger or going through school. And so um, I'm glad that it's kind of caught on a little bit and it has this this effect with, uh, with people. It, it, it targeted exactly the audience I was hoping for. It's so useful. So have you always been interested in the clarinet? Did you start with that or did you kind of start with different instruments? How'd you get to where you are? I was always interested in music. My dad, uh, he doesn't really watch TV. He, he has a stereo system, so he would listen to music all the time. So I was always around it. And uh, uh, one of my favorite CDs that he would play for us is the Benny Goodman Trio. And so I just got really gravitated towards the um, sound of the clarinet. And yeah. The story goes that I guess my 10th birthday, that's all I wanted was a clarinet and, and lessons. And so I started playing clarinet and I'm still playing clarinet 23 three years later, 23 years later. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's been a huge part of my life. Yeah. Now, do you go into jazz like Benny Goodman or how did you oh, end gosh, up with classical? <laughs> no, I, I wish I could. Um, we actually have a one of our bassoonists is a fantastic jazz musician. He plays saxophone and and clarinet and all that stuff. And he's offered to give me lessons, but it's a, it's definitely a uh, a different uh, different vibe for me. I wish I could do it, but um, 
It's amazing, it's, isn't it? It's a totally different discipline. Yeah. It's like speaking yeah. a different language. I mean, it's all we're 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 vocalizing the same, but it's it's just a totally different understanding of what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you also play bass clarinet, and that's very different from just the soprano clarinet. Yeah, it's it's different in a way that obviously it's bigger and lower and yeah. the reeds are different and everything. Um, but it's the same kind of instrument acoustically. I mean, all the fingerings are the same and everything. Mm -hmm. So for anyone interested in, in trying bass clarinet, I, I always give the advice of try to try to make it as similar as possible to, to regular clarinet. Um, mm -hmm. I started playing bass just because, uh, well, my teacher played bass clarinet in the Chicago Symphony for a number of years. And, um, you know, it really gave me kind of a voice and a, a, a little part of the orchestra that, that I had never accessed before. And so I really kind of enjoyed that. And I felt like I was more connected to that instrument than I, than I ever had been to my regular clarinet. So. Yeah. And what I love about your podcast and about your, your YouTube channel and everything is that you're very honest and I know it's in the title, you're the candid clarinetist, <laughs> but I appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability in the topics that you discuss when it comes to your career and the way that you are living your life. I mean, it takes a lot of bravery to be so open. What was your motivation in doing that? Yeah. I mean, it took a while for me to get to that point. Yeah. Um, but I think my motivation mainly was just, I feel like a lot of uh, what's taught and a lot of what's kind of performed by teachers and, and uh, you know, people who are successful professionals is they sort of mask the fact that they're just normal people and they have normal struggles. Yeah. Um, and so my goal was just to be like, there's not this magic thing that happens all of a sudden where you transition to this world where you're teaching, uh, you know, high level students or you're playing in a professional orchestra. It's a slow kind of morph and you still go through the same issues. And so, yeah. you know, I'll have weeks uh, in the orchestra where I just don't feel like I sound very good and I'm struggling with my playing. And then, you know, I'll go and teach somebody and I have to kind of pretend that I'm not struggling. And so yeah. I, I my motivation for for being really honest about it was just like there's you know, it's OK to be struggling with things because everyone's just kind of faking their way through it. You know, it's just there's different levels of experience and different levels of masking that goes on. And I just wanted to kind of break down that that wall and just be like, no, they're actually just normal people that with normal life problems and normal struggles of, you know, just getting and everyone's just trying to do their best. And so um, I wanted to sort of uh, I don't want to say blur the lines, but but just know that there is an even gradient that goes from becoming, uh, you know, a student to a professional. And I wanted to help people along the way. And I had for I was fortunate that I had plenty of people that helped me. I did a lot of learning early on, sort of thrown into the fire kind of deal. Um, but I had a lot of people that took me under their wing and, and sort of taught me, you know, how things are when you're a professional. You know, I mean, it's wonderful and amazing. And I wouldn't trade my career for anything. Right. But it's, well, that's not entirely true. But you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love it is, is what I'm getting at. Of course, um, yes. My marriage is obviously very important. So I, I had to rethink that. Gotcha. <laughs> I gotcha. That's the most important thing. But um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just not this like magical fairy tale land where we just go right. and play this incredible music and people are moved and they go home and and think about it for years. It's it's a it's a job and and there's you know, there's struggles just like there are for any other job. You know, I, I also have to give a shout out to all my guests because 
they've all all really embraced it and i've gone to um you know some pretty in-depth places with some of my guests and to pretty mm-hmm. honest places and um and they've always they've all been wonderful about it so when you have these open conversations and you said that you have taught and you've taught some students have you ever gotten the idea that maybe some of the honesty and some like talking kind of about the harder parts of the profession has deterred some of them from wanting to go on or is it just kind of equipping them with the with the tools that they need when they want go, want to go on well i think it's made them relate more i, I don't think it's deterred anyone per se mm-hmm. i think it's just uh made them relate you know like i've gotten messages from people saying oh yeah i was really struggling with my reads and i, and I was really happy to hear that like even your you know you struggle with your reads too yeah. Um, you know, cause, so so I think it just it's it's made it's made myself and my colleagues and the people that work in the orchestra world a lot more relatable to them. Yeah. So that so they don't feel like they have to like crest this giant hill in order to get where they want to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of breaks down that sort of shield of mystery. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very like even like audience I mean, they talk about a lot about like breaking down the the barrier between the audience and the orchestra. I kind of wanted to break down the barrier between like the orchestra and and this, you know, the students um, Mm -hmm. and and make make that more accessible. Um, Yeah. No, I can see that because I was thinking about when I was a student, there's a lot of pressure when you're a music student. And I think that when my professors were honest and said, oh, no, I have had troubles with like, say, performance anxiety or something along those lines, it it takes away the guilt of having those issues because you know that someone successful has also dealt with and been able to overcome issues as well. Right. Yeah. Or is still dealing with them. Right. Right. And they have the tools and that they can help you with that. And I think that goes along with the topic I wanted to talk about today. And that is a mental health with musicians. And this is a very important subject. And I think that the COVID pandemic has really brought to light a lot of, a lot of shortcomings in our profession, in the music profession. There are some really interesting uh, statistics that I would like to share. There was a 2018 study um, from the Music Industry Research Association that 50% of musicians reported battling symptoms of depression compared to 25% of the general population. So this is even before COVID. Musicians were having twice the amount of depression. And then um, a 2019 study by the Swedish digital distribution platform Record Union said that 73% of independent musicians have battled stress, anxiety, and depression. And that was even before COVID hit. And so many musicians found themselves out of work. Um, And I know that this is a very um, dear subject to your heart. And so I would love to get your general ideas about, about mental health and musicians and what you've seen in your career. I think it's, um, and I'm going to try my best to hold it together here because it's a, it's a tough subject for anyone to talk about. Um, right. But I think that it, it's such a hard career because there's no answer. There's never an answer. There's never two plus two equals four. There's never a right. measurement that you have to take. And that's, that's going to make the house you're building not fall down. Mm-hmm. You're, it's this perpetual kind of like working to get better, but you don't know what better means or how you reach the point that you want to reach. It's just kind of like a, a circumstance. And so um, that's that can be really destructive because it feels like it's almost Sisyphusian where you're you're working towards something and then the rock kind of pushes you down the hill and you're not really sure like where the end is. 
And mm-hmm. so I think that really contributes to a lot of mental health issues in our industry. Um, that combined with the fact that there's a lot of pressure in music school, as you said, um, a lot of teachers are very unforgiving and very not empathetic to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Combine that <laughs> with the fact that, you know, it just feels like every day the world's falling apart a little bit more. Um, whether that's happening or not, I mean, that's right. sort of the news cycle these days. Right. And so, you know, my wife teaches now and, and she, I just feel so bad for those kids because, I mean, the, their first two years of college have just been like, what is going on? You yeah. know, so so yeah. so I think that um, all those factors just really contribute to, to or can contribute to a really toxic uh, environment. And it's really uh, degenerative to people's mental health. And you know, I've struggled with mental health even before I got serious about music. So it was always kind of an issue for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I've seen it in musicians. Um, you know, I, I've lost friends and sorry. Oh no, <laughs> um, I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. So it's, um, it's tough. And the reason I want to be, um, open about it is because excuse me, other people are going through it too. And, um, you know, just, just know that you're not alone. And I think that people are willing to help. And, uh, so that's the reason that I try to be open about it. And I'm always there if people need to talk about it. And so that's, I apologize again, but, um, it's just, it's a really tough thing. And, um, you know, it's just, it's important to know that everyone goes through those struggles and you're never alone and there's always someone to talk to. What do you think it is that, that is stopping people from reaching out to others? Um, you know, that's, that's, that's tough. I'm, I'm not really sure. I was fortunate that I had a great support system with my family. Um, and they've always been helpful with that. But I think um, a lot of it's just a lack of a support system. Um, yeah. Maybe they don't have a strong family or a strong friend group. Or, I mean, if you can imagine just being alone uh, at a music school where you go to your lesson and your teacher tells you that you're not very good, and then you go to rehearsal and the conductor tells you you're not very good, and then you go yeah. home and you have nobody to talk to about it. I mean, that's a that's tough. Yeah. And so. Um, you know, I think that's, that's a big contributing factor. And so they just don't have any release outlet to, to talk about those things. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it's just important to know that there is an ecosystem and there's lots of resources where if you need help, you can get it. Um, and that's, that's really important. And I think that everyone should be aware of that. Yeah, I agree. Again, I am so sorry for your loss. And it's okay. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's very, okay. it's, it's a sad topic. It is. Yeah. It's a hard topic. And I think, I think what you were saying, you know, you go to your lessons and you have a teacher who tells you you're not very good. And then you go to your rehearsal right. and then you have someone telling, man, <laughs> music school's tough. It's a hard yeah. place to be. And I think the first couple of years when I was in school, you know, you would have, everyone has experiences like that. And then there was a certain level of competition between the students trying to figure out where they fit, you know, and, um, and that makes it hard too, because they're probably the only ones that really know what you're going through because they're going through it as well. But if there's that level of 
feeling of like competition. It wasn't until later on after we had a couple of years of school under our belt that we're like, oh, no, no, we're each other's support group. We're not competing against each right. other. We are here to help each other. And that's one thing, too, that I that I want people to be aware of is like the higher up you get in the industry, like there's there's no such thing as competition. Like we're all right. we're all friends and we all mm -hmm. there's enough room at the table for everyone. And so I think the competitive thing happens early on because that's yeah. how you like get in the honor band or whatever it is. But it's not it's not a competition when you're uh, auditioning for orchestras like you're you're competing against your own self. You're not competing against other people. And it's a totally subjective thing, too. So like I could play for for, for one committee and, you know, they could love me and somebody else could play for that committee. They could hate them or the or vice versa. So you're really just trying to do your best. And, you know, I, I had a really big personal revelation where you know, when I, the first summer I went to Tanglewood, I was playing around all these musicians that were just incredible and they were all my age and everyone was so friendly. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, aren't we supposed to be like jealous of each other or whatever? But right. everyone was just so supportive and, and happy and just glad to be there and making music with each other. And uh -huh. so, yeah, I think the, you know, I think there's a lot of problems with music schools in that they, they can promote that kind of competition with, you know, seating placements and, uh -huh. concerto competition competition and like all that stuff and i just don't think it's really a competition it's it should be a, a, a an avenue for learning collectively um, mm -hmm. and being around like-minded people i think in order for that to change that takes that's kind of like a systematic kind of traditional change that's very hard to deal with like it's that's hard to do um what would you tell music students that are going into a situation like that what can what can one music student do to create sort of an atmosphere of more uh, support for their fellow musicians? Well, I think one thing is it's it's a lot of personal growth. So, and this is something I still work on is like, the biggest thing is like, don't try to talk behind people's backs. I think that that happens a lot where you, yeah. you'll tell them they sound great to their face and then you turn to your friend and be like, oh, they sound terrible. Um, <laughs> but I, th I feel like that happens a lot. And this is something that it's a personal thing for me that I really try to to improve on. Uh, every day because I still catch myself doing it. Um, so just like being supportive of, of other people's accomplishments and not try, and trying not to be jealous of them or envious yeah. of them. Because, yeah. you know, if somebody gets a job in an orchestra, it's, it's a time to celebrate and be thankful that you're there and you were able to play with this person or learn from this person or, you know, know them as a individual. Like that's, that's a, that's something to celebrate. I don't think that's something to be jealous of because, their track is going to be different than your track. And, and I think that's, right. you know, I think that's a good way of just promoting other people in, in the industry is just like, if you promote an environment where everybody is supportive of each other, it's going to be a more successful thing. Right. Yeah. And I think that sometimes it even just takes one person to allow themselves to be vulnerable, like yourself, that to like stand up and say, no, we need to make this a more supportive environment, even amongst our classmates, even amongst our year. And sometimes people just need one person to stand up and, and do it, you know, right. and be supportive. And then they'll be like, oh, no, I like this. I like talking to that person. I think I'll be like them. Yeah, for sure. And I think you're right about um, auditions being so subjective. They are really so subjective. And at the same time, perfectionism is a huge aspect of music. And you had a quote in one of your blog posts that I love this, and it says, we are trying to achieve perfection in an area where perfection is unachievable. So what are, where did you kind of come up with that idea? 
Well, I think also one thing to know is like you can't, you know, even if you're note perfect, like you can always play a phrase more beautifully. You can always be more mm -hmm. effective in a dynamic change or whatever you're doing. So there's no such thing as like a perfect performance. And and for right. me, like, you know, I feel like the best I can hope for is like 93% of what I was hoping to do. And even mm -hmm. then there's still stuff you can improve on. So it's, um, I think that, you know, just, just kind of changing the mindset to, um, and this is something that I'm chronically working on. It's, you know, sometimes you have a rough day and, and the best thing you can do is just put it down and go the next day and be like, well, I'll try, try again tomorrow and see if, see mm -hmm. if it's any better tomorrow. Um, but I think this, this idea of perfection is you just can't, it doesn't exist in classical music. I, I know that people try to hammer it home or, um, they think, oh, well, I'm never going to get a job unless I can play this perfectly. Nobody ever plays anything perfectly all the time. <laughs> the, the sooner you realize that it's never going to be perfect and you just got to aim to be better than the day before. And sometimes you're not better than the day before, but if you're aiming to be better than the day before, then you're making progress. And that's really the most important thing. Yeah. Making progress is, is the important thing. It's true. It's difficult though, when you are doing competitions or you're doing auditions and like the base minimum is that you play it note and rhythmically and articulation perfect. And then they're looking for something on top of that. That's it's very difficult to get into that mindset of playing your best and, and striving and practicing for perfection, but then also letting go once you're in the, once you're in the performance. Yeah. And, I, but I'll challenge that too. Cause even in auditions, like, you know, I can tell, I can tell within five or 10 seconds listening to someone, whether I like their playing. Mm -hmm. And so if I like their playing and they screw something up, like I, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, mm. so I, I don't even think you need to be perfect. I just think like your concept or what, how you produce sound and how you emote and uh, like, that's a lot more important than like playing something note perfect to me. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm alone, you know, I'm, I'm one person, you know, there's obviously a committee of people, but I just don't think that, you know, I, I mean, you, it needs to be really good. And like, if there's a pattern of like, you can't play anything technical consistently, then, then maybe it becomes an issue, but as long as you have like that baseline, I'm, I'm going to be forgiving of, of that kind of stuff. So it's interesting that like that's, and I think that's a mistake that the teachers make when they're preparing their students for auditions, you know, and I'm mainly speaking orchestral auditions here, but mm -hmm. when, when they're preparing their students for auditions is they're like, oh, well you have to do this or else you're not going to pass the first round. Mm -hmm. And, and for me, if, if they don't make a quality sound, I don't really care how perfect it is. Mm -hmm. Just, just striving to be just a little bit better and, and listening to, um, you know, listening to players and, and musicians that you enjoy and just trying to emulate things that they do. Um, I think that's, that's really important. Just building up this concept in your identity as a musician, I think is way more important in my opinion than just, you know, spending an hour trying to shed a technical passage. But I like what you said about, um, people figuring out their identities as a musician. So what are your thoughts about people wrapping up their identities as being a musician? Yeah, this is a tough one because um, you kind of, you know, I don't want to say you have to do this, but I, I think that I probably wouldn't have gotten to where I was today if I didn't spend, you know, I'd say I probably spent four or five good solid years just every day when I, from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep, every decision I made in my life had to do with, am I getting closer to my goal of being in an orchestra? 
So, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, spending time with friends, like every decision I made was like, you know, how do I get my practice routine in so that I can do this and get better? And like, right. I feel like I needed to do that just to like n- put in the work. Yeah. But with that comes this idea of like your identity and as a person being the same as you, you being a musician. Um, I think that a lot of people, that's all they have is they're a musician and that's what they think about and that's what they do. So that, yeah. that four or five years that I spent doing that, that's them for the rest of their life. And right. for me, I could, I can't do that. It just, I would get really dark and really jaded. (laughs) Like I wouldn't be a a good person to be around really anywhere at work or at home. And it took me a while to kind of get out of that. Um, Mm -hmm. After I got my job in Indianapolis, I'd say it probably took me a good year or two before I was like, okay, I can't just be affected all the time by what happens at work and how I'm playing that day. And like, I need to have a personal life. I need to have other interests. I need to have other hobbies just to kind of make myself a more well-rounded person so that, Mm -hmm. you know, music is what it is and I'm really good at it and it's my job, but it's not who I am as a person. I'm a, I'm a much more individualized person. Like how I play does not mean like, because I play really well, doesn't mean that I'm a nice guy, you know, yeah, or vice versa. Cause I'm a nice guy. It doesn't yeah. make up, you know, I play really well. So I need to work on that side of me. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time working on the musician side of me. Now I need to work on the other half of me. It's important to, to separate our identities, I guess is the moral of the story. <laughs> Well, I think that people, I think just our culture in general has a problem with attaching our identities to what we do for a living. You know, you, you meet somebody and you're like, hi, I'm Bill. I'm a doctor or hi, I'm this person. I'm a teacher or hi, I'm this person. I am a pianist, you know? And so I think we wrap that up, but sure. You, you do learn a little bit about something about somebody when you figure out what it is that they do for a living, but it is dangerous because then what happens when that is taken away? Like, what right. are you left with? And I think a lot of musicians have had to come to grips with that in during COVID because their performing was taken away. Yeah. And the thing that brought them their sense of self was taken away. And I think a lot of musicians had to deal with who am I when that's gone? And for that's sure. been a really, really tough thing for people. For me, it wasn't so much during COVID, but I have rheumatoid arthritis. And so when I first had that, my hands couldn't move and they were just blown up and I couldn't, I was, I wasn't able to play. And so I had, it was, it took me about five years to be able to get back to playing again. And so there were those five years of like, who am I now? Right. What, what is, what is left? Like, what do I have to give to the world? And, um, and I think you experienced something similar, not the injury part, but the co- with COVID, you had to kind of decide who you were outside of music as well, correct? Oh, yeah, big time. And, and you know, I, I think now I'm in a much, much healthier place than I was before COVID. I mean, I was getting pretty wrapped up and pretty burnt out before COVID. Like I was, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I was even considering like a career change before COVID just because I was oh, so, really? yeah, I was, I was mm-hmm. just struggling. Like it was so perpetual with, with the orchestra and stuff. And I just, I, I was just kind of struggling, um, in terms of like, I just couldn't get everything to kind of line up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then COVID happens and it got, it got ripped away from me. And I was like, I need to figure out like what I can do to, to still bring value. Um, and I credit my wife a lot to it. What I figured out about myself is, um, I mean, I think I'm a talented musician, but like 
I don't think I was given the talent to be a good musician. I think what happened is what I'm really good at is I'm really good at getting really good at things very fast. Um, okay. And so like, if I decide I want to do something, I just go, I, I learn everything about it and I, and I just dive into it. So podcasting was the first thing. Uh-huh. Um, and then I decided I started streaming on Twitch. So I, I played games and I started streaming on Twitch. Mm-hmm. I became very, I wouldn't say very successful, but I like developed the following and I started getting an income from that. Uh-huh. Then, you know, I, so I have all these hobbies that I just kind of like figured out how to do. Yeah. Um, and so I realized about myself, what I'm really good at is like, I love the process of getting better at things. And so oh. it was very liberating for me knowing that like, I don't need music when I can just do whatever and learn about something and get really good at it really fast. Okay. Because I, I love doing that. And so, yeah. um, you know, then when I went back to music, it really helped me because I, I had that perspective on it. And I just also want to say, like, I feel like I'm playing better now than I ever have. Right. Because it, it helped me free myself from, like, the, the chains of that uh, burden, basically. Yeah. And the pressure. And the pressure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think there's something so liberating about knowing that you as a person are more than the sum of your abilities. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So what would you say that for musicians that are maybe starting to burn out or are starting to question, you know, their identity and things, and maybe are going through trying to make decisions of whether they want to stay with music or not, what sort of advice would you give them? Yeah. So the first, uh, piece of advice I always give to people is you have to enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like, I love the process. Like, I love sitting down with a passage I can't play. And then by the end of an hour or the end of a week, I can play it and play it really well. Like, I love yeah. doing that. Not that I love actually practicing because it can be tedious at times. But I love, like, seeing the results, the yes. fruit of my labor. So you have to fall in love with the process. You know, I think that's why I got really good at auditions, too, because I developed this process over time of, like, how I you know, start being success, successful in auditions. And I loved like improving that process and getting better at that and seeing the results from it. And so that's kind of my biggest uh, thing is like, if you back away a little bit and just start enjoying um, the process of, of getting better and not necessarily just the results, you'll see the results later, but you have to enjoy getting there. You have to enjoy uh-huh. the process of getting there. Right. Um, the next thing I'll say too is, you have to find a way to balance your life a little bit. And, uh, you know, this goes to the concept, which I think we were going to talk about later of, of Ikigai, which is sort of this, uh, Japanese concept of balancing your life and into different things. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's probably the advice I would give. Um, just love the process and then find a way to balance out whatever music's not giving to you. Yeah. Well, let's talk. Let's like jump into that. So that Ikigai, what, so you explained it a little bit. There's four pillars, what you love, what you are good at, what you can be paid for and what the world needs. So how did you find this? So I found this, uh, very early on during COVID, I, you know, started questioning everything because it was, it was when like nobody knew what was happening. It was just, you know, pretty early, like April or something. And so I used to play with the Milwaukee Symphony and Mark Niehaus is their president and CEO now. He used to be their principal trumpet player. So I emailed him because um, we had met a couple of times and, and I was like, hey, can I talk to you? I'm thinking about, you know, maybe going into orchestra management because I was just kind of mm-hmm. fed up with how things were going. Yeah. And, you know, so he started talking to me and, you know, the biggest thing he said was 
first of all, don't go into orchestra management. The, oh. the second thing, <laughs> the second thing he said was, was you know, I never would have left my job as principal trumpet if I didn't feel like I had to to keep everyone else's job. Um, mm. And then the third thing he said is he started talking about this concept, and he started giving me examples of like other musicians who do things outside of the orchestra that kind of balance their life out. Um, so, for example, there's a clarinetist, or he's now retired. Uh, he was in the San Francisco Symphony, and he did a uh, bonsai. So he he made bonsai trees or whatever they you know the arrangements. Right. And so that was his passion. And so he whatever he wasn't getting from the orchestra, he he funneled his energy into that. Mm-hmm. So Mark really challenged me. He's like, you need to like make yourself a Venn, di- Venn diagram, figure out where music fits in there, and then find whatever the the missing part is, and try to figure out a hobby or something that you can focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that. So I, you know, obviously I love music. So it, it filled that niche for me. I got paid for it, filled that yep. niche. Um, I always forget them. I'm sorry. I know you just went over them, but no, everything. it's what you can be paid for and what the world yeah. needs. What, what the world what needs. Good at. What, oh yeah. So I'm good at it. Yes. I wasn't sure. So I was good at it. I loved it and I got paid for it. I wasn't sure if it was what the world needed. I think it does. I think the world does need it, yes. but not in like a humanitarian way necessarily. Gotcha. Um, okay. And so, you know, I thought back to when I was a student and I was like, you know, I really wish I had a lot more resources other than just like my teacher or my fellow students to to go to. Go to. And so that's when I started my podcast. And so I felt like the world, at least the music world, needed that yes um mm-hmm. and so i filled that um and then i started kind of filling in the gaps with the rest of the stuff so i love music for sure but i also love other things you know mm-hmm. i i have i've always had hobbies and stuff and so i started you know uh gaming is like board games has always been a big so i started doing that and streaming that and so that you know so that kind of filled that for me too and I started getting paid for it too. So I, I started like figuring out all these other spaces that I could fill in on my little Venn diagram. And it just really helped me. Um, and I think I'm still finding that now. I'm finding different hobbies or different things I can do that kind of just balances it off. Because obviously, you know, I, I get paid for music like that one's covered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love it, but I probably don't love it as much as I thought I did because I don't okay. think I need it. I just, I love it because I'm good at it and... Um, I love, I I love that it's, you know, I love the schedule. I love that I get to create art, you know, but I wouldn't say I'm like, I I go home and listen to Beethoven cycles, you know, endlessly. Like that's not, that's not me. I don't love it in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then, uh, I'm good at it obviously. Um, but I'm also good at other things. And then, uh, what the world needs, you know, I'm trying to figure out a little bit more how I can, how I can fill that gap. Yeah. Um, but it's I'm definitely more balanced in that tree than I used to be. Yeah. Have you come up with any new things? Have you tried any like new hobbies that you wouldn't have tried otherwise? Yeah. So um so obviously I get paid for music, but you know, we don't get paid like lawyers or doctors or anything. Right. So, you know, I'm always looking for little extra sources of income. So um, I've always loved sports. Sports uh-huh. has been a big thing for me. And so I started buying and selling sports cards. That's, that's been a little side hobby for me that I've started wow. doing over the past six months. 
Um, and then about a month and a half ago, I started a YouTube channel, uh, just mm-hmm. sort of documenting my journey, journey and doing little like videos and stuff. And it's been kind of crazy. I, I, um, I've really exploded over the last couple of weeks and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm approaching a thousand subscribers on my YouTube channel. And it's something I haven't done for very long, but it's, you know, I, I took all these things that I learned from podcasting and video editing and, and yeah. all this stuff and, and building relationships with people. And I kind of funneled it into this new thing now. And so I was spending, I've been spending a lot of my free time doing that. And that's been a great balance for me as well. And that wow. fills a lot of needs for me too, because I'm good at it. Um, I love it because I've always loved sports and watching sports and I'm getting paid for it. And um, I think people need an outlet to kind of get themselves away. And so I've gotten so many nice comments from people about how they enjoy my videos and all this stuff. So so yeah, wow. it, it kind of hits all the boxes as well. So I've got a nice little balanced <laughs> tree at this point in time, which is great. And it's interesting that it doesn't have anything that's like what's just fun. That's not one of the <laughs> that's not <laughs> one of the pillars. Right. They're all like they're all like deep, meaningful, like what you love, yeah. not just, you know, how you like to spend your time. It's what you right. love, what you're good at. You know, I just it makes you think a little bit more deeply about what you decide to spend your time doing. And I, and I think having meaning to things and having a purpose to things does help with the mental health that we've been discussing today. So just to finish up, um, cause I know I've taken a lot of your time today, but no, that's okay. what are some things that you wish people would know about mental health when it comes to musicians or just in general, some things that are misunderstood about it that you would like people to know? Yeah. So I think, um, the biggest thing is like, if you need help, ask for it. Uh, ask for it from a friend. There's plenty of hotlines. Ask for it from a colleague. Ask for it from a family member. Um, and someone will put you in touch with who you need to see uh, to get better. Um, I think there's a lot of stigma of like, there's something wrong with me if I have struggles with mental health. Um, I think that that's not true. I think a lot of mental health comes from a simple chemical imbalance in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother also deals with some mental health things. And I remember when he first uh, got on medicine, he was worried it was going to kind of like give him like fake feelings. Uh, oh. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and I was like, no, 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 like it's not, you're not like hallucinating or anything. It's just like what it does is just kind of evens out the stuff that's not quite balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the serotonin and all, all that stuff in your brain. Um, and so there's, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with you if you have struggles with mental health. Um, and in fact, if you don't have, if you're a musician, you don't have struggles with mental health. I almost think that that's more of a mental illness than the other, oh. the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's not true. But, um, but yeah, there's nothing, nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, all we're doing is we're just trying to help everyone through this crazy, crazy wild ride called life. And um, if anyone ever needs to reach out to me, I know a number of people have. I'm always open. You can message me on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email me. Go to my website always happy to speak with you. I don't know how much I can help, but I certainly can point you in the right direction and empathize with you because obviously I've been going through the exact same thing. So, um, yeah, that's the biggest thing is just knowing that like, it's not, it's okay to not be okay. Um, and that it's okay to ask for help if you need it and you don't have to like swallow all the things that are going on. You can externalize them and get help and get medication or get whatever you need to get. It's just going to make you feel better. And I think that's a, that's an important thing. And everyone deserves that. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for that. How do people find sure. you? Yeah. So the easiest way to find me is on my website, candidclarinetistpodcast.com. You can also follow me on Instagram or Facebook at the candidclarinetist. 
Um, yeah, or you could just friend me on Facebook. I pretty much accept every <laughs> friend request, request on Facebook for better or worse. <laughs> so um, that's probably the easiest way to find me. Uh, there's a contact form on my website. I know that's how you got a hold of me as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm pretty good about responding. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to chat about anything, I am I am super open. Well, Sam Rothstein, thank you so much for coming and talking with us, being so open and so vulnerable about this important topic. I think it's a great example to other musicians, and um, I'm sure that you are helping and continue to help people every day. So thank you so much for coming and speaking with me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. A very special thank you to Sam Rothstein of the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra for sharing his time and his stories with us today. Be sure to listen to Sam's excellent podcast entitled The Candid Clarinetist on thecandidclarinetist.com or wherever you listen to podcasts, and also check out his channel on YouTube. We'll have links to all of this as well as to some mental health resources in this episode's show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. In today's episode, you've heard Prelude from Ukrainian Suite in Form of Ancient Dances by Ukrainian composer Mykola Lysenko. Musicians vs. the World is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer is Russ Wilkes. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. Also, if you're more of a visual person and are interested in seeing our faces, you can now find us on YouTube on our Musicians vs. the World channel. And if you want to help us reach more people that may be interested in today's topic, please share this episode with them or leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you need to reach us, we'd love to hear from you. And you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe and have a great day.